Thanks for tuning into the podcast for The Kelly Cotrera Show. It's Tuesday, February 16th. And today, Adam Oldfield, our tech expert, will talk about some social media platforms that are smaller but making headlines. And on that vein of social media, the Star is reporting that people in the Lawrence Heights community can predict violence before it happens based on social media posts. We'll talk about that with our law enforcement expert, Dave Perry. But first... Residents of Chicago condominiums at 385 Prince of Wales Drive in Mississauga were tested yesterday after a cluster of five cases of the South African variant was discovered at the building. Dr. Lawrence Lowe, Peel's region's, uh, region of Peel's chief medical officer of health, joins us right now. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Lowe. Good to have you on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So beyond uh, its presence, what's, what's the most concerning thing about this cluster of South African uh, variant to you? So uh, certainly we were concerned enough uh, with recognition that the uh, 1351 uh, variant that was originally detected in South Africa is not yet uh, circulating or not known to be circulating widespread in our community. Uh, So obviously when we identified uh, a cluster where there appeared to be transmission within uh, the multi-unit dwelling in uh, the city of Mississauga, uh, we thought it important to, uh, you know, out of an abundance of caution, uh, leave no no stone unturned and see if there are any other cases uh, within that structure that uh, needed to be be, uh, investigated. Okay, so you're not only trying to contain this spread of the South African vi- uh, variant, but you're tr- trying to basically determine how how it spread by testing everybody. That's correct. It, it's both uh, containment because we know that it's not, at least to our knowledge, we we haven't seen any other clusters uh, of one three five one outside of uh, this specific dwelling. Um, but yes, uh, you know, actually, if we do identify additional cases, uh, we'll be able to get further information and first of all, see if it's the variant, and second of all, try to figure out well how are they all connected. What do you mean, see if it's a variant? I thought, aren't we certain that the five people have that South African variant, or are you talking about? to see if we get more positive hits, if it indeed is it's, is the same variant. That's the second piece. So the five people are definitely confirmed 351 variant, uh, but the whole of building testing was to see if there are additional cases of COVID-19. And should those come back positive, we would ensure that they're screened for the variant just to make sure that, uh, it, to, first of all, to see if they're linked to uh, the cluster and then to really figure out how are they all related. Yeah, I understand that that none of these five cases came in direct contact with each other. And that I'm guessing that's the major reason beyond trying to get ahead of this virus, this uh, variant of the virus, as to why you tested everyone. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so certainly with our partners, uh, our provincial partners at Ontario Health, who actually... Um, uh, their agency uh, did the uh, floor-to-floor testing yesterday. Uh, what our in- initial investigation has, and we've also sent, we've had a public health inspector on site who's done uh, infection prevention and control checks. Uh, we've interviewed all of these uh, individuals who've been impacted. Uh, they've been absolutely forthright and uh, and cooperative. And uh, to the extent that it doesn't seem like there was any close contact in the way that we would traditionally see uh, it represents that there might be some other way uh, that this is spreading within that facility, either common areas. Uh, we're looking at uh, things like, you know, the elevator, the corridors, uh, even just, uh, you know, briefer moments and thresholds, which really points to how, how much more contagious these variants potentially are. Is there a possibility that it could be ventilation? That's certainly one of the other hypotheses that we're exploring, um, but it's uh, just based on the interviews that we've identified and the nature of interactions that these individuals re- uh, report uh, within their uh, condominium building. Uh, the common the common uh, elements uh, theory seems to be uh, more likely at this point in time. The elevators, certainly, um, and, and the corridors are things that we're very closely looking at. 
So the entire building was tested yesterday. To the best of your knowledge, can you talk us through, you know, how this test happened? And is this the first time we've tested an entire building since the pandemic started? So it's not an ordinary practice, certainly. And I think the reason we're doing it is because we've identified the South African, uh, you know, 351 variant uh, in the midst of that um, uh, in the midst of that complex. Uh, if it were anything else, uh, we would really, uh, you know, it, it would it would be in line with keeping uh, with what we know about community spread of COVID. Um, and, you know, we know that there's a baseline level of risk out in the community. But the fact that it was five cases of the uh, 351 variant really gave us pause. And so uh, we went floor to floor. It was entirely voluntary, but obviously highly recommended, uh, just highlighting to residents that we're really trying to get to the bottom of this to keep them and to keep our community safe. And how how was that received? So we had a significant uh, willingness to to participate. I think it really speaks to the overall spirit that we've seen in our community. Many people recognize and they're taking this very seriously. Um, and uh, and so my understanding is that there were very few refusals. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll we won't find any other cases. I think that would be the best outcome. Uh, but certainly, if there are, then uh, we'll be able to assist and investigate the people uh, who uh, do come back positive. Um, and uh, and hopefully learn more about how we can continue to try to contain this. Uh, 351 variant. So you're going door to door and you're giving people information. Did you let them know that the South African variant had been found in that building or was it just, you know, we are concerned, we've had some cases of COVID-19 and we want to make sure everybody's safe? Do you know how much information was given? Yeah, absolutely. We've actually been very transparent. We worked uh, very closely with the property management of the uh, dwelling, uh, who have been who have gone above and beyond, uh, recognizing the gravity of the situation. Um, and all uh, residents were given a, a letter, uh, which basically described, you know, there have been a, there's been a cluster of the three five one variant uh, detected. Uh, you know, out of an abundance of caution, we are uh, going to be offering testing just to make sure that uh, it hasn't spread out beyond the initial cluster, and to also help with our investigation in this uh, in this um, situation. When we talk about variants, we've been talking about the UK variant uh, quite often, um, more than the South African variant. What do you know about um, how these two variants compare? So in general, I think at this point in time, there's uh, lots of things that people are looking at and the data is obviously still uh, coming through. We know that they are both uh, more transmissible uh, in respect of the 351 variant, uh, which is the one that was originally detected in South Africa. There's questions of reinfection. Um, There's also questions about the effectiveness of one of the vaccine products, which hasn't been uh, approved in Canada yet, but approved elsewhere, the AstraZeneca product, about whether it actually protects against uh, severe illness with uh, the 351 variant. Uh, and in terms of the uh, 117 variant, which was originally detected in the United Kingdom, uh, that's the variant that is uh, so transmissible and has been responsible for some of the really explosive growth in cases and then hospitalizations mm-hmm. and intensive care stays that you've seen in Western Europe, in the UK, in Ireland, and also uh, in Newfoundland. Uh, and so to the extent that we're really trying to monitor the picture of variants, uh, at least to a broader situation in our community where our concern is we're seeing a decrease in the traditional strain of COVID. Um, but uh, just now, as we're starting to look at reopening economic sectors, we're starting to see more and more variants uh, you know, detected in our community. And that might be partly testing, but it's also partly because the variants are just more transmissible.
Dr. Lowe, I understand that this condo ha- had taken precautions since the pandemic began. They're doing things right. They, they closed their common spaces, um, amenities, pools, media rooms. They've installed protective glass around common areas. They've limited the number of building visitors and contractors. They've implemented uh, parcel delivery lockers, contactless entry. They've limited elevator capacity. Um, is this a case study, this particular building, and how effective these new variants can be at finding a host and quickly? Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason why we did whole of building testing so that we could really understand the situation and, you know, and find cases. Uh, but we know it's not a unique case study. I mean, certainly our colleagues in North Bay Perry Sound uh, had an outbreak in uh, one of their apartment buildings uh, that they are also uh, really investigating. Uh, and we also have a number of other clusters in other buildings, uh, not this one, um, uh, with variants of concern, specifically the 117 variant, uh, that we're also actively investigating as well, along with, uh, as I understand it, partners elsewhere in the province have uh, variant clusters. The reality of the situation is what we are finding in all of our investigations is that the variants are indeed more transmissible, perhaps in a shorter period of time and with more transient contact than previously seen. Is it a PCR test that you gave people or was it rapid testing? So it was PCR test that was undertaken, uh, mostly because you need to have a PCR test in order to be able to screen uh, for the variant of concern and then genotype uh, to make sure it's the same, uh, the same variant uh, if, if it is identified. When do you expect test results back? And and in the meantime, what are the residents told to do? Are they self-isolating? No, so our provincial partners have advised us that uh, at this time uh, we, we can expect, uh, you know, the provincial laboratory to get these tests back through tests back throughout uh, the next few days, uh, throughout the rest of the week, and we'll start to piece the picture together. Um, and in the meantime, because this was done out of an abundance of caution as a surveillance uh, sort of screen, uh, the only residents that are being asked to uh, isolate at this point in time are those that were identified as having been exposed to cases in the course of our investigation or anyone who's currently symptomatic and keeping with standard practice. And after this is this is done, will you, as we mentioned, it's a case study, uh, if you find new cases, will you conduct a, a, another full test of the building? Well, I don't know if we do another full test of the building. I mean, given that we already have that, that point in time snapshot, but in, if we do identify additional cases, what we would do is we would essentially conduct our you know case management and contact tracing as we have with every single other case that we've had there to make sure that we're getting to the bottom of the overall picture and then also stopping uh, onward spread. Dr. Lowe, very quickly before I let you go, I know that on Monday, your stay-at-home orders will be lifted in the region of Peel. Toronto and York will also um, be allowed to move into the framework. Now, uh, York is asking that they be moved into red. Toronto, John Tory, the mayor, they feel that they'll probably be moved into gray. Is there a color-coded framework um, place that you would like to see Peel land when things open up on Monday? You know, and I say so with a heavy heart because I recognize that so many people have uh, really been through this and it's a matter of really trying to get through this for longer. But if we are to move into the framework, it would likely be gray simply because our rates are still the highest in the province and we're still seeing these variants emerge. But if anything, the variants emerging uh, should also give us some pause and to really think about, well, is now the time to be, I mean, we've just gotten schools back. Uh, we want to keep kids in schools. We want to keep schools open. Um, you know, is now the time to also be opening all sorts of other things at the same time, especially when this uh, picture out variant still remains very, uh, uh, very perturbed. I want to thank you for your time, Dr. Lowe. You're always so generous with the show and, and I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. 
Cheers. That's Dr. Lawrence Lowe. He's uh, Peel Region's Chief Medical Officer of Health, giving us insight into what it's like to uh, actually test an entire building, an apartment building, a condo uh, full of residents. I think there's something like 1,800 residents in that condo. So that's a lot of door knocking and a lot of conversations to be had during a pandemic. All right. Let's talk about what's going on online. Adam Oldfield is our guest. He's our 640 Toronto tech expert. Adam, I read that Parler has relaunched on um, an independent, um, I guess, platform, technology. What's going on right now? Yeah, what happened with uh, Parler was shut down by the big boys. Um, When we say the big guys, uh, Amazon is one of the largest. uh, Google is the following. And, of course, Microsoft with Azure. All three are the largest that primarily host most of those popular platforms that we visit. So uh, with that said, what happened was there was a little bit of a pushback on that uh, little uh, situation, I, little or big, if you want to call it, that down in Washington, when they stormed the Capitol. And what, and as such, it was uh, deemed at Parler.com, uh, which is a social platform similar to a Facebook. You build a community, you have a group, you can have your chats, share your discussions. Uh, was very right-wing conservative. And as such, uh, Amazon stepped up as they were starting to cut off the president and take down his Twitter account, his Facebook account. They actually took down Parler.com which was actually, again, to be determined, uh, a platform that was uh, assisting in organizing this. So when it came down, uh, Parler.com ended up reshuffling. They restructured. And this is actually interesting, Kelly, because during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of things. One of them is the rise of the small guy. So, you know, we look at the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, all these big, massive billion user platforms and uh, a, a little social media platform like Parler went to a smaller server platform. Uh, it's called Skylink, and there's many of them out there. There's, there's more than the Amazons out there, if you can believe it. Anyway, uh, it's a server out in L.A., uh, and they're going to probably now get a lot of attention from bringing them online, whether it's good or bad. But uh, Parler.com is now online, and it's capable of now allowing users to sign back in again. I will say, I think, you know, when it comes to the social media platforms and allowing discussions, Parler, their name is the best name out there. Just because, you know, the whole idea of coming into the parlor, pouring a cognac, sitting down, uh, that old timey, you know, after dinner place to chat by the fire. It, it, it's just so perfect. It, it makes much more sense than birds tweeting. Well, you know, it, it's interesting to see there's a lot of them out there that have come up, like you brought up that a great example. Uh, and another one that's, that's you know, 20 million and rising uh, is a podcast platform called uh, Clubhouse. Um, and, and that one, I know, is getting a lot of attention at this moment because it's gaining uh, popularity, uh, along with other social, these minor social media platforms. I want to keep emphasizing the minor. And what's the right. difference between them? The difference is with Facebook, uh, you can sign up and it's free and you more or less... Uh, provide your data, and we all know what's going on with Apple right now, where they're going to be shut that down. It's another topic for another day. But in the meantime, these little social media platforms are setting up with an invite only, and Clubhouse is one of those. Uh, There's another wiki version, which is uh, similar to a search option that you can sign up for. And these platforms come with a bit of a different feature. One of them is uh, you can sign up as a community. You can invite only. So it's not just everybody and their brother can sign up. You've actually got to be recommended and have a following to be able to sign up for some of these. However, to be a member of the club, you'd be, yeah, be a part of the club, be a member of it. Yeah. And you're not 
something from North Korea. But just be careful because Clubhouse just, uh, unfortunately, like many social medias, they're small. And that means in smaller cases, they don't have the same security features. And there is actually uh, a situation where Clubhouse, the small social media, was infiltrated by the Chinese government, and they were determining that it wasn't secure. Okay, let me ask you this very quickly before we move on to the solar winds, because I want to get this in if we can on time. Uh, Clubhouse, it's it, you said it's a it, it's kind of like a podcast platform. So um, instead of typing, are you is it all audio based messaging? Yeah, well, it's a combination of both. Primarily, you sign up, and it's a think of it as a, a podcast in the in the form of where you would normally throw it on, uh, uh, you know, and share it with everyone and anyone and their brother could listen to it. In this case, it would be an invite only. It's an audio se- sequence. It can't be recorded. So it doesn't allow you to copy it, download it or otherwise. So it's proprietarily invite only to listen. You can have a comment, but the, the comments can only be by invite of those that are so, allowed to listen. Let me get this straight. Are you eavesdropping by invite on some people that are leading this conversation? Well, I, I guess if you're invited, I don't think you're eavesdropping well, because there was an invite there. So it's kind of like you're welcome to the party. But, you know, no one, you might be asking, like, who invited Billy? But uh, Billy was invited. So <laughs> you can definitely see who, who, who took Billy and brought him into the equation. Interesting. Let's talk about um, Microsoft has announced that that SolarWinds attack took more than a thousand engineers to create. Now, when they talk about engineers, are they talking about hackers? Yes. Yeah. What they're talking about is computer engineers. I think they're I think we're trying to <laughs> this was a PR message on their part. Smart on that on that side. When we say engineers, technically hackers and uh, uh, and so forth are engineers, they're computer engineers. I mean, they know how to run the code and otherwise, but it took a thousand. And yeah, what was interesting about that was the fact that a thousand of them were. I mean, this is a very serious infiltration. Solar winds uh, and many people still are confused. What is solar wind? Sounds like a new environmentally climate a changed uh, software. It's actually a a program that uh, harvests data with regards to government properties and big government, federal governments. We're talking Homeland Security, NSA stuff. So a thousand of them were working at this. And this was like a full-on job. This was their only project was to infiltrate SolarWinds and accomplished it doing a very, very simple task. And that was finding someone within SolarWinds who has uh, access to their engineering. They, they did their research, and all they did was TFA. It's called two-factor authentication. So when you get a text message with a code, uh, they managed to link with a very small 4,000 lines of code in a million lines of code. They were able to determine access through, a, through an actual uh, software engineer that worked for SolarWinds, and that's how they got into the back door. That's fascinating stuff uh, and terrifying at the same time. Adam, that's all the time I have today, but I really appreciate you, appreciate uh, the fact that you've run us through some of the newer social media platforms that are uh, starting to uh, show up and also this story. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kelly. Have a great day. All right. Speaking of social media, this is something that caught uh, Chris's attention. He passed it on to me involving social media and the ability for people following social media in places like Lawrence Heights to predict the real world violence that will follow when someone posts something on YouTube in these neighborhoods. Uh, For instance, the Toronto Star says Lawrence Heights community leaders predicted real world violence would follow a music video on YouTube with lyrics disrespecting several Toronto neighborhoods and gangs. Whenever something crazy comes out on social media, we discuss it amongst each other and try and make an educated guess that something is going to happen. 
This according to a community worker known as DJ. And within the span of a week of the videos posting last year, according to the Toronto Star, multiple shootings broke out across Toronto and the Lawrence Heights neighborhood, uh, the neighborhood near Lawrence Avenue West and Allen Road. That is no stranger to gunfire. Here to talk about it is our uh, legal analyst here, Dave Perry, our 640 Toronto law enforcement analyst and CEO of Investigate Solutions, Investigative Solutions Network. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you on, Dave. It's been a while. It has. Good morning, Kelly. So if people in the community like Lawrence Heights can follow social media posts and see violence coming and see, you know, a rash of shooting, predict where it could happen, why can't the cops? Well, I'm not sure that the cops can't. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that they're doing the same thing and following and predicting and, and trying to understand crime patterns related to social media. But it is one of the problems with social media. People can pretty well these days post whatever they want, and it can be the most vile thing. And uh, it takes it, it takes somebody to, to actually grab the initiative to make a complaint to eventually get it taken down. And a lot of times by the time it's taken down, the harm's already done. So it's a really tough situation for everybody. I can't imagine living in a community where you're monitoring your social media to sort of prepare yourself and perhaps protect yourself from from gun violence. But that's the reality of what's happening. They're using social media to inform themselves about where it may and may not be safe. It's fascinating. What's, What's stopping the police from acting on the information they have if they are also following those social media posts? Well, there's nothing from stopping them from doing anything except you know perhaps some of the vagueness of the reports i mean you know at best they can reallocate resources to the areas where there's anticipated problems we predict by friday night shootings where the shootings might be on a saturday or a sunday night that we've been doing that for decades and uh, you know all you can do is shift resources unless you have solid intelligence information that says a shooting is going to happen at a certain time in a certain place all you can do is flood that area with resources. And isn't it interesting, Kelly, how many times we hear now that there's been a shooting and there were officers in the area and the police officers heard the gunfire and therefore were on scene within seconds. Um, you know, people had fled the area either on foot or by vehicle. But this is happening in spite of, of those interactions, in spite of the fact that resources are being put into what I would classify as very high risk areas. It is fascinating that people can can actually use social media the same way they use, they would use an actual weapon to threaten people, and and uh, and it's it's working. Yeah, it sure is, <clears throat> and you know, in doing so, it and it just shows you how sensitive uh, some of the issues in the gang culture are. That somebody can be you know posting something, and whether it's a threat or. You know, they're just condemning another neighborhood gang that that's about all it takes to push people over the line to to go mobile, to get in their car and to drive over and find whoever belongs to another gang. And it doesn't matter if it's the person that posted or not, but the retribution is always just around the corner. Councillor Mike Cole is saying that it's it's time for um, the social media platforms to take responsibility for what they're posting. But he also, you know, it's it's pointed out in this in Toronto Star article as well. The way things are now, social media platforms have no reason to stop spreading the, the content that, you know, um, the violent content that's that's putting up, that's threatening neighborhoods, because it creates a buzz and it drives up viewers and advertising revenue. And, yep. you know, that is making money. 
it's big business and they don't want to lose their numbers you know so if we, let's let's say we're talking about twitter and i just happened to go through an issue the last couple of months where i had somebody threatening my life and threatening my family and that was through some work that i was doing and and you wouldn't believe how difficult it was to get twitter and youtube to start shutting down some of his channels and some of his posts in spite of the fact that they were they were blatant threats so i understand what people are are going through and you know, I think the rules, and it takes government to do this, the rules, you know, that to, for monitoring any social media platform should be far more strict. You know, that's not what social media was, was set up for. And if, if there's even a hint of, of a threat, if there's a hint that it's unwanted by, you know, anybody that's receiving these posts, then I think the line needs to be brought way down. They should, you know, shut down people immediately at, at any threat. And any any hint that somebody is is being harassed or stalked in any way, or that it could lead to a violent act, it, it's very simple. It, to, to me, it just has to follow the Canadian Criminal Code. The Canadian Criminal Code is very clear on what we can and can't do. You can't walk up to somebody and threaten them. You know, you can't harass people day after day without facing some very fairly serious criminal consequences. And I know those consequences are applied. You know, when it comes to social media, but it's so anonymous and so many people have spoofed who they are and where their email is coming from and all that. That should be a big clue. And, and social media platforms, if somebody's misbehaving, should shut that channel down immediate. Yes, they might start up another one tomorrow on a different name, but that's the job. Then shut that one down as soon as they put out something inappropriate. And I, I, I agree with you that we're, we are so uh, short on on what we can actually do in, in terms of controlling this horrible, threatening behavior on, on social media platforms, it's gotten out of control. And yet people still lean on, well, it's freedom of, freedom of speech, but they're misunderstanding what, what freedom of speech actually entails. Yeah, and I think anybody who, who wants to go on that defense, somebody should just send them, here's what freedom of speech means, and here are the rules and the laws of Canada that show you what you can't do. It's, it's very clear. And the, the interesting thing is people know that it's clear. They understand the law. And that's why, you know, you, you wouldn't believe some of the, the, the handles, if you will. I, I was being stalked by a guy using the moniker Agent Margaritaville. And he had a YouTube channel that he would post anything he wanted to, threatening, you know, politicians and threatening people on a regular basis and constant harassment of people. And uh, nobody would shut him down and, and until, you know, it took a, a concerted effort. I had to push really hard to get his YouTube channel finally shut down and the same with his, his Twitter account. So it's, it's hard. You know, I, I think there's a lack of understanding and I think you hit it right on the head. It's a business thing that, you know, they shut somebody down, they've just lost a subscriber, right? And that so, subscriber might've had a million viewers. So Dave, what do we do? I mean, if you see something like that is the way to deal with this problem is, you know, to, to stop, this uh, threats of violence, uh, you know, that turn to uh, real violence on the streets is a way to stop that. Call the cops, press charges, let a judge decide. Well, certainly if an individual is being threatened, that's what they should do. But, you know, when you put out a sort of a, um, a rap song, for example, that threatens one of the other gangs or talks poorly about their neighborhood, 
I mean, I think that should be enough. People should look at that and say that there's a potential for this to incite some violence. So we should shut this down. But the rules, and I think it's the government that has to push for this. Hmm. The rules, I don't care where the social media platform is hosted. If they're to be allowed to operate in Canada, they should come right totally in line with Canadian laws on everything from threatening and harassment and stalking. Our, our laws are very clear, and they're, they're actually quite good. Um, as, as individuals, nobody has the right to harass you or stalk you, and, and we're pretty quick, and especially if it's the creepy stuff, and I use that term loosely, but if it's some guy creeping out some woman, and that's 90% of it, um, you know, the police have extraordinary powers based on the law. They can arrest that person on site, if they feel that, you know, they haven't pushed the line too far, they can give them a warning. And if they give them a warning, the very next time they harass that person, they're arrestable. And life changes for that person. If they try it again, well, you're going to jail. If you try it again, you're going to jail for longer and so on. So there are good, solid laws in place, but they're they're not being used as much or, um, you know, as successful in social media. And it's the anonymous piece of social media that a lot of these cowards hide behind. Mm-hmm. And they, they hide behind and they, you know, this this guy, for example, was stalking me. He was, you know, uh, his little moniker at the end of any video he post was serving up a consistent diet of fear. I mean, as soon as some one of these subscribers or, sorry, one of these platforms reads, that's who's on their social media platform. Why would they want somebody like that on there? You know, why wouldn't they see that this is a fear monger? This is a guy that threatens and harasses people using our platform. Shut them down right away. But there you doesn't know, seem to be the will. There just really doesn't seem to be the will for people that uh, manage these platforms to do anything for anybody. Your story aside, is there, do you think the, the because the, yours is pretty obvious, it's out there, is there a fine line that law enforcement's walking when it comes to we could be in danger of, you know, arresting a relatively innocent person who's putting together a diss track? Well, you know, of course, that's going to be a different conversation for another day. But, you know, to to arrest somebody for putting music out, we know what a stretch that's going to be. So that has to be, in my view, for for a law enforcement initiative, that would be have to be so far, far over the line. It would have to be written in the words. It would have to be a direct threat that right. you know, we're, we're coming in and, and it has to be directed at a person or a group of people. So it gets it gets a little bit wishy-wash in terms of how that might hold up in a criminal court. But certainly if people are, are uh, doing anything to harass, intimidate or whatever, then, then they, can, they can certainly uh, call the police and, and see if the police can, based on the evidence they have, lay a charge. Dave, I, I appreciate your, you sharing your experience with us, and I'm glad that that's over. Glad you've had that uh, remedied, and I appreciate you shedding light on what's happening here as well uh, with the social media threats that are happening in Lawrence Park, Hart and uh, Lawrence Heights. Anytime, Kelly. Stay tuned. I don't think it's going to get better before it gets just a little bit worse. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you like this podcast, it's really just a portion of a three-hour show we do daily. If you have some time, tune in between 9 and noon at 640toronto.com. Have a great day.